Yeah, hi. Just wanted to let you know it's time for another Ed North EdTech podcast. But first, I'm, I'm one strike away from a 300 game. Can I finish it out? Please? Yes! Hi, I'm Dave Swerdlick from Uptown Podcast Studios and StoryCub Video Picture Books. But more importantly, a proud member of Ed North, an EdTech meetup group located in the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul in Minnesota. If you'd like to learn more, just head on over to ednorth.org. Again, ednorth.org. This is show number six, and the number six kind of has a special significant meaning to me as back in 1986 my father was president of the minnesota entrepreneurs club loved to help startups loved to help companies and was an all-around great guy so this show is dedicated to you pops sure do miss you on show six on this this has to be one of the fastest growing startups currently in Minnesota. The company is creatively focused. They work with schools and school districts, helping them with special needs students. The founder is Elizabeth Orm, and she knows her stuff. So let's check it out. Elizabeth Orm from Creatively Focused on the Ed North EdTech Podcast. Well, Elizabeth Orm from Creatively Focused, thank you so much for joining us here on the Ed North EdTech Podcast. Thank you for having me today. It is our pleasure. So if you were to give an elevator pitch, your company is Creatively Focused. What is Creatively Focused? Creatively Focused is a company providing professional services to school districts in the area of special education. We are taking the services that we do, specifically a coaching model, and augmenting them through technology to be able to address the retention problem of special education teachers across the U.S. Correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like the old, no pun intended, the old school way was special education students kind of had their own room, their own teacher, uh, their own kind of thing. And... um, Things have really shifted to integrating these special education students into regular classrooms. Am I correct? Yeah, that's happening more frequently than it has in the past. Um, There's a lot of different ways that we can provide service to special education students. And so um, where we've come a long way is that we've actually identified ways that we can support special education students to be with their peers at their grade level more frequently throughout the day. That's awesome. How did you get the name Creatively Focused? Did you have a giant list going, like, of potential names? Yeah, what's funny is that I actually didn't. (laughs) Those two words, the two words came to me um, and just kind of lived in my head for almost a year. And I could never quite figure out how I wanted to use them together. But I I knew throughout kind of my whole life, I was always torn back and forth about, should I use the creative part of my brain right now? Or should I use the focused part of my brain? And what I really found was that through working with teachers, 
they could do just incredible things if we really kind of wrapped around them, supported them to express those creative ideas they had, but then provided them with the focus to be able to really get some amazing work done. And so for me, it was always coming back to the fact that we like to think that someone's one way or the other, but really when we can put those two things together, we can do incredible things. Wow. What what an answer. Here, I thought you were going to say, we had 120 names and we narrowed it down to the top 25. And then we looked and see what domains were available. Yeah, no. That's awesome. It is. (laughs) You saved yourself. You saved yourself a lot lot of time. It's a great name. Uh, So in dealing with teachers and special education, as I mentioned, there are more students being integrated, although I know you work with a variety of different types of schools. Um, So so I would think a lot of new teachers that go into schools and teachers retire, new teachers come in, and I'm guessing that the training in – Special education is very limited, a limited part of getting their degree. What they do have that your general teacher doesn't have is the need to thoroughly understand how a student's brain and their learning um, is going to impact the, the amount of education that they're able to receive that makes sense to them. The special educator needs to think about when this, when this student goes into the general education classroom, what might be challenging for them? What impact is their disability going to have in their learning in that classroom environment? And they need to account for their entire day and really think about how to uniquely program for that one individual student. And so what we find is that Oftentimes, the new teachers coming in are, in fact, not even replacing retired teachers because most of these special educators aren't even making it to retirement. Ah, okay. So you're saying a lot of turnover. Yeah, there's a massive amount. So when we look at the attrition rates, the attrition rates of teachers is very high, um, but the attrition rates of special educators is actually double that. So we're looking at about a 14% attrition rate. So within five years, 50% of of special educators leave the field completely, and within 10 years, 75% of them are leaving. So is the data showing stress? Yeah, so there, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, teachers don't get paid enough and that's why they leave. And yes, that's def- definitely true, but that's actually pretty far down in terms of the reasons that they're leaving the field. Um, special educators leave because one, they don't feel valued in the position that they do. Um, they don't feel like an expert. Oftentimes they're asked to, you know, teach one grade level one year in a completely different grade level or content area the next year. And then third, they are extremely isolated. So again, beyond the general education teacher, oftentimes they're connected with the other special educator that's next door to them when at the end of the day, their days look nothing alike. So your company trains teachers. You go out into the field through technology as well. If I was a teacher, the school district or whoever says, hey, you know what, we're going to start bringing uh, these kids into the regular classrooms. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as a teacher, I'm going, okay, what do I expect? What do I know? Mm -hmm. This is kind of where you really come in with your expertise and support staff and everything else to help these teachers learn and and grow and get a better understanding. Is that what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So we provide really um, a variety of services. One part of our business is truly um, outsource services. So if you need a contractor to um, meet the school psychology requirements of your school or needs for your school, we can fill that. Some of our charter schools that we work with need a director of special education, a credentialed director, and we can provide that as well. But a large area of what we 
do is really our special education coaching and professional development and training. Um, our coaching model accounts for those top three reasons of why special educators leave the field. So not only are we providing people who can help answer special educators' questions quickly, but they're also having continued conversations to say, you know, how did that tough meeting last week go? Um, they're acknowledging the fact that when these special educators come into the field, there's more than the direct teaching that happens with the students. There are pieces of compassion fatigue, secondhand trauma, um, and, and most of the time these special educators are faced or put in a position where they don't have many people in their building that truly understand the extent to which those those components occur each day. Um, so we're able to provide direct support through our coaching model to teachers that way. Um, and then we're also able to support really the whole district or the whole school building in terms of what learning needs to happen in order for all students to be successful within their environment. You actually kind of semi-answered a, 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 my next question was, how much support do teachers get from their, I guess, bosses, you would say, principal, the, whoever in the school district? How much support? I, I'm, I know the answer is it varies. Do some districts, you know, all right, you're, you're getting these kids, blah, 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 and and. I don't want to hear about it. You know, I think everybody, for the most part, when we look at educators, they have good intentions, yeah, right? right? And so I think part of what we just acknowledge is that we have to look at the reality. As as a school principal, I went through a principal program, and only six weeks of my program was dedicated to understanding special education. So I was in a unique position because I had been a special educator. But when I looked to the other people in my program, I thought, man, you know, these people are going out to become principals, and all they get is six weeks of understanding what special education is. As a supervisor, it would be very challenging to be able to provide critical feedback, to be able to provide even supportive statements expressing how valued they are when you might not have enough knowledge or expertise in that area to really be able to provide meaningful feedback. And you are busy doing so many other things within the school. So where does this lie on the list, on the priority list? I want to help. However, you're not in my top five right now. You're not in my top 10. I think it's easier to have, have those special educators fall further down the list when it's not an area that that person may be super confident in. So oftentimes, if they're not doing it, um, hopefully they have somebody else in their building who's able to do that. What we're finding is that so many people within the school setting are so stretched for time that the special educators are truly in that moment needing their questions answered so quickly and we're able to provide that kind of on-the-spot support for them through our virtual coaching or through our face-to-face -face coaching. So we're really able to get their questions answered faster, which in the end saves time for the teacher, it saves time for the person who supervises them, and ultimately saves time for that leadership team so that they can truly kind of live in that space of being able to provide the great leadership qualities and skills that they have versus um, responding to kind of more black and white questions. Let's talk about your company for a second. Sure. You're probably one of the fastest growing startups. So we started, I actually started as an independent contractor myself. In October of 2016, I was working full-time in a school. And then in the evenings, I do some kind of data collection around how other programs were working. And from there, then we started full-time with one employee outside of myself, July 1st of 2017. 2017. And you're up to? 17 people now. I figured, I, I saw you not that long ago I thought you were gonna say 18 because <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the way you're the way you are growing I, I'm, I'm shocked I know you're really choosy picky mm -hmm. um, 
about who you hire. You you want the best and you have a reputation because of that. Absolutely. So if you were to break down your services, not necessarily what each employee does, but the services that you offer to schools, what would they be? So when we look at, you know, the first year starting out, the, the two of us that were working for Creatively Focused were in positions where we held the highest credential in special education. So we could kind of do anything that schools needed in terms of the type of licensure that was required. And what we found was that oftentimes schools actually needed services provided where they didn't need to be paying us the amount of money that they were at an hourly rate for the credentials that we had. And so we started from a business modeling standpoint, really structuring ourselves to be able to provide more opportunities for people seeking work outside of schools, but also working with school districts in terms of um, providing a cost-effective model to support their system and really understand what their needs were and provide people within a nice price range that worked for them versus having them pay an extraordinary amount for something that could be done by someone else. And so I think, you know, when we talk with schools about what we provide, again, we can provide anything from administrative um, support in their business office to a paraprofessional coach to a licensed teacher that's able to support assessing students, um, all the way up to a director of special education, which again is that highest level of administrative position within a district. So uh, you're like a one-stop shop. Someone can call you and you have someone on your staff that can like we need someone, boom, you have someone that can go in and... We do. Yeah. I, I think a, a huge piece for us, though, is that even beyond just having one person, we have a team of people that they're gaining expertise from. And I think that's something that really kind of differentiates us from other companies that are available and also creates a unique model. You know, a lot of times people can pick one person to support their building or one consultant. And what we're bringing truly is research-backed content and um, learning from our entire team into the work that we do within each district. So were you growing up saying, I'm going to work with special education kids. This is what I want to do. No. (laughs) Um, So I laugh when I think about even all the way through the age of I didn't know that I was going to teach special education until I was just about 23, probably. Um, Through that whole time, at one point, I mean, starting from very early childhood, I said, I'm going to be a doctor who works with kids. Um, So I, you know, I thought I'd be a doctor forever. Following that, I thought that I would be a babysitter forever. Following that, I um, went into pre-med athletic training for a while. I went into cognitive neuroscience for a while. Um, I did some research right after college that was in the um, spatial learning area. And what I found was everything that I did kept bringing me back into school. Um, Even from that, though, when I decided to go back and get my teaching license, it wasn't to become a special education teacher for the rest of my life. What I found was that I, in a research position, was able to listen to so many teachers talk about their amazing ideas. And I wanted to be able to listen to teachers more and act on what they were talking about. And I knew that in order to do that really effectively, I needed to also do some teaching myself. And given my background in more of the cognitive side of learning, I was just interested in those unique learners. So I I guess all these teachers are giving you awesome ideas. At the same time, uh, I'm guessing that there are a lot of teachers that you were speaking with 
that had a lot of frustration as well. Absolutely. So I oftentimes, as a research assistant, I was working at the University of Chicago, and I spent a couple of years going in and out of different schools. And after I would connect with teachers, I was often the person that they would express their feelings to the most. Um, I was a complete stranger. I wasn't a threat. I wasn't a supervisor. Um, So I really heard firsthand kind of the challenges they were facing and yet still decided, yeah, this this is the work that I want to go into. They needed someone to talk to. Absolutely. And you you were there and you looked pretty compassionate and whatever. Yeah. You got into that. So how much room is there for growth for your company? within this field? Absolutely. So last year in 2019, we only served metro area districts. And really, when you look statewide, we were serving, you know, 7% of our possible market in Minnesota. And with that 7%, we drove 1.1 million in revenue. Um, So I think that just shows you a little bit in terms of what that need is. Um, it's, It's extreme. And when we look beyond the state of Minnesota, we have 49 states in the U.S. right now that are in a special education teacher shortage crisis. And 20 of those states have been in it for 20 years. So when we look at our addressable market, we're really looking at special education teachers, but also there's this entire group of paraprofessionals that support special education programming who oftentimes make really great special education teachers. And other times we really just need paraprofessionals who are able to stick around and do that work. And so when we look at our full market, it's a total of 1.8 million people that really need the direct support of that coaching side by side and and that we need to work in retaining. So there's a lot of room for growth. Absolutely. Are you thinking of offering other services? Um, because you're in the schools, mm-hmm. okay? So you go in the schools. Uh, I'm not trying to say you uh, go in and try and sell them pencils in a race. Right. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. <laughs> no, but, what I, but, but, you know, something on the education side, uh, obviously that's your, your specialty. Uh, do you see yourself going beyond special needs? So we have two avenues and and we're doing them side by side, right? So we have one one area that truly is a more consulting model. And what that means is that any district, whether in Minnesota or outside of Minnesota, can come to us and we work through that through a similar process with them. First, we really identify what challenges they're facing. Um, we identify what solutions we know will impact change. Um, and we'll really get them the results that they want. Oftentimes, a district will come to us and say, we need this part fixed, and we think you should do it that way. Um, you know, we're pretty quick to say, hey, let's take a step back. Let's fully audit what's happening here and make sure that whatever work we're doing is going to create change for you so that you don't experience that same challenge again. Is there a particular issue that seems to come up more often than others um, when you're when you're speaking to different schools? Yeah, a lot of it comes down to finding the truly appropriate setting for each individual learner and ensuring that those settings are well done and and really doing what they're meant to do. So a lot of special education is federally guided. And so we have a lot of laws that we need to follow. 
And oftentimes when people have so many laws or rules that they need to follow, they get stuck in terms of their creativity. And we see it as our job to really be able to people be people coming from outside to think outside of the box for them and with them so that they don't feel like they're doing the same thing over and over that isn't working. Could you give me an, an example of what the federal guidelines, some, something that, that they require that you know you have to do? Sure. So um, an example of a federal guideline is that every student needs to be in what we call a federal setting. And there are um, multiple federal settings that that schools provide. But for example, federal settings one, two, and three speak specifically to what percentage of day um, a student spends outside of that general education classroom. And what happens after federal three is if a student is outside of a general education classroom for 100% of the day and the district and the team feels like that setting isn't doing what it needs to for that student in terms of being able to improve outcomes, they actually move to an alternative setting that's outside of that school building and and are completely removed from their peers. And that's a really, really big decision. And so oftentimes what we're facing is that districts are really starting to reevaluate Um, the fidelity of the programming they're providing at Federal 1, 2, and 3, and also making sure that students are being evaluated appropriately to determine whether or not they're truly a special education student. Yeah, I bet, because who does the evaluation? Not only who does it, but who takes that data and correctly identifies what is needed and what's not. Yeah, there are disability categories all across the United States. And so the one good thing is that there has to be eligibility criteria in every state that tells us whether or not a student can or cannot qualify for those services. Now, making sure that the evaluation system that accounts for culturally biased assessments um, takes into consideration some of the subjectivity that goes into evaluations is all really important. And what's also really important is what are we trying beforehand before we kind of stick that label onto a student and put them in the special program. And so some of the other work that we do, you know, for example, our school psychologists are super skilled in this area. And we can actually go into districts and say, okay, it's called a pre-referral. So before they get referred to special education, what are all of the different things that that students gain access to so that we can make sure that we're not just qualifying students left and right, and we can make sure that the students receiving special education truly qualify under this eligibility criteria. That would be horrible to, to not diagnose correctly, I guess I would say, a, a student and pull them out of a class that they should be in or vice versa. And unfortunately, it's really common. So, I mean, specifically, we see that under the category of emotional behavioral disorders, we see many black boys being referred into special education. And um, that's truly an equity problem within the state of Minnesota specifically. It's it's really what creates quite a few gaps within the educational system. So who actually decides, like, you're in my classroom, I'm a teacher, and you're really bothersome to the class. I want to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to, I mean, does that happen? Who decides? How does that work? Sadly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I hate to always come back to it depends on the district, but yeah. sadly um, that happens frequently. And and again, we go back to good intentions, right? Oftentimes the teachers put in a position where they quite literally don't have the tools that they need to be able to address a behavior that's happening in their classroom. Or we're talking about people who are, you know, maybe fresh out of college, they're in their first year of teaching, and they happen to have one of the most challenging classrooms. And so it all comes back to, again, that supervision support, that feeling of ability to ask questions to somebody in the building who's who's going to be able to give them the resources and tools that they need. And then it really comes down 
down to what is the foundation for the systems that we have in place for this district. We don't want kids to fall through the cracks either. You know, we have kind of two two different problems. One is over-identification and kind of the disproportionality of how students fall into the system. And then we also have this other piece of of kids falling through the cracks. I I go back to one of my first years of teaching. I had a 16-year-old that had an IQ of about 55 that hadn't yet been identified as needing extra support. And so she had gone years and years without adequate support. Do schools say, all right, we want X percent to qualify for special needs special because the way our money is or what or for some reason we have to hit 12 percent or eight percent or two percent whatever it is uh do do some schools have quotas and could put someone in a class that they really shouldn't be because of this i think the best way to answer that is really thinking about the fact that we have these average percentages and kind of ranges of those percentages, right? So when we talk about a school district, when we're looking at average percentages of students that receive special education, that's what they want to fall into, but they definitely don't have a specific percentage they're going for. The biggest problem that we're facing is that the percentages are too high. And so we have that over-identification issue. And so specifically in that area of emotional behavioral disorder, and when we're really looking and accounting for race and the different ways that um, students are assessed as well as treated within the classroom, unfortunately what we're seeing is an increase in that percentage when the reality is when we go into those programs and look at, at the students that are qualified and put in those programs, the students at times don't need to be in those programs. And so we're actually seeing districts that are more concerned about how high that percentage is. Um, There's quite a bit when it comes to special education finance where people will say, oh, if they qualify this way, we'll get more money or less money. But really, that that tends to be a far less talked about issue um, versus the disproportionality of how students are being qualified. So right now, your your primary uh, schools uh, are in the metro area? So right now, we're mostly in the metro area. We do serve some Minnesota outstate schools, so more of the rural areas are starting to receive support that we're able to provide through Zoom sessions and through other virtual ways. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been really fun. So you're able to communicate whatever it is you use, and do they still feel the support? Yeah. I mean, I I can't, everybody wants support. I can't, just like you mentioned, people were talking to you, they came to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I can only imagine that so many teachers want to talk to someone, but they can't talk to their friend because their friend doesn't necessarily get it. Mm-hmm. So we call that our human-centered approach. So when we, all of us as educators, always talked about the whole child approach, right? Um, how do we consider the whole child, the student who comes into our classroom and we're not just looking at how their brain works and how they learn, but we're also considering how they emotionally might be feeling. We're making sure they feel safe. We're making sure they're engaged. And we know that we have to do the same thing with teachers, right? So we're looking at that whole teacher approach. So something we know about that is, you know, if if we have a school district that says that they want this continued support, we're not just going to jump onto a Zoom call and say that that's going to be sufficient, right? So we do some face-to-face because, again, we want to really understand what the challenges are that they're facing, and we want to provide them with the supports moving forward that we know will work for their district. So we oftentimes have kind of like an implementation 
session um, where we're in an auditing session where we're saying, okay, let's learn more about the district, let's build the relationships, and then we transition that over into more of that um, online support and web-based support. And so that's been something that's been very effective because, one, it actually allows our coaches to be able to get to more teachers. Um, We were skeptical at first thinking, you know, side by side is one thing, but then seeing each other's faces through the screen is another. And what we found from based on all of our teacher feedback is that they feel that same level of support as long as they can see each other's faces. And so that has been a critical piece of when we do that virtual support, we're not just doing something over the phone. We're truly saying, hey, I'm here. I'm present with you. Let's have a conversation. And they can see your empathy. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right? Absolutely. Uh So what's next? Do you want to take this nationwide? Do you want to stay here and build up? Our vision is to support every special educator in the United States. So when we talk about that vision, um, we strongly feel that the coaching model that we're providing is is replicable and that we're able to do that at a larger scale if we augment through technology, right? So we can't continue going face-to-face and providing that side-by-side support to every special educator. Again, we would take it would take an extraordinary amount of people to do that. But what we do know is that there's a lot of incredible technology. There's a lot of great machine learning that's happening as well that can actually assist teachers across the U.S. to be able to further connect with each other and get exactly the tools, resources that they need, as well as be able to to access our team to get that full coaching feel and full coaching model. This company that you now have 17, 17, are you, are, are you an employee? Are you part of that 17? I'm part of the 17, you yes. Are. Okay, all right. I'm just, I'm just for clarification. You I am are, still a director of special education You're number as well. one. You're number, you're, you're number one. Employee okay. number one, yes. You're, you're number one, and then you get number two. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Because what, what happened in this past year? Because you blew up and... Uh, why? How? Is it school districts? Is it specific? Is it teachers? Is it the word spreading? Out? What? What? What went on this past year that you, that you just blossomed into this ever-growing company? I think it's the combination of two things. Um, one, our company, creatively focused, is not afraid to think of something outside of the box. And so truly coming back to that space of innovation, um, we are experts in what we do in terms of understanding the legal side, and we will always ensure that that's taken into account. But we're ready to think bigger and broader, and we're thinking more sustainably for our school districts. And so you know, we have that piece going in terms of we're ready to ask the questions and and try new things that other people may not be ready for. And and to that point, I think some school districts are ready to jump right on board and work with us. And others, we've had some say to us this year, we're not ready this year, but we will be next year. And so just making sure that we have the right fit of the districts that we work with is really important. And we're really upfront about talking about that. You know, we, we might say some things you've never heard and are, are commonly the, uh, we can't do that because. Right. Um, but we're not fearful of saying that. We're a what if team. You know, what if we thought about this? Um, And so I think that's one reason that we've really been able to scale the way that we have. Uh, The other end is that truly we have that huge group of experts. Um, We're not relying on one person to have a broad understanding of everything. We have experts that can dig into the details that really matter. 
and we function as a team. So at the end of the day, we're not just contractors coming out and going to different places. We all come back to each other. We learn from each other and we're providing a model and um, and collaboratively developed resources that are affecting our schools. You're building this content, this library of content. Maybe you have two piles of kind of what's working. You're building on that. You have this other pile. We tried this. Didn't work. Maybe, yeah, maybe we'll come back to it, though, because you, you never know. So you have these documented, right? So this list of of things that you find work, grow, 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 and it can be used everywhere. It can be. And that's the piece that we're seeing is that, you know, even something like our coaching model, maybe we did it face to face for two years and now started it virtually in this first year. But at its core, the content of what we're providing during that time stays the same. And, you know, I often laugh because my brain lives in research and it lives in I'm writing research papers all the time in my head. And so when it comes to thinking about our next steps, I am already thinking about what analytics are we looking for? Um, what outcomes do we want to see here? And so there's truly purpose behind everything that we develop. And so there are even times when we have two resource pages that look almost identical, but are tweaked just a little bit. And we're using them with different groups to see which one is going to connect better. Everything we do is built off of teacher voice. Everything that we that we focus on and that we build from is based on what we hear from teachers, not based on what we think is going to be the solution. I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Could you diagnose a teacher as, oh, I don't know if we really want her data because, or his, or her, because this teacher doesn't want to engage, doesn't want to connect, doesn't want to do this. So, Maybe it's not good data. So my response to that would be that we're not digging deep enough to understand what challenges that teacher is facing. Ooh. So oftentimes I think as people, we're very quick to say, well, that person's not engaged, so the data is not going to be great. Or we can expect to get negative data because that person doesn't really want to be working with us. Maybe it was told to them that they had to work with us. Um, what we're finding is that you keep showing up. Right. Every person underneath it wants to be good at their job. People who signed up to do this job want to be able to stay in this job, too. You're, you're trying to make their job easier. We are. And, and, and oftentimes it's really digging into what is it going to take to help that person see that their job could be easier. I can just picture a teacher going, you know what? I don't need you. You don't know what you're talking about. I've been doing this long enough. I know how to handle it. And it, if you want to sit in the corner, go ahead, fine, because you have because they said you have to be in this class. Absolutely. And so part of it for us is is working with our team to to just recognize that that may be what you see in the moment. But underneath it, there are opportunities. And I think the other piece is to not be fearful when things don't work. Um, a teacher like that or I'll take, you know, we did a user session where quite a few people were just thinking like, no, this doesn't work for us. And it wasn't a response of, okay, well, then we don't need to hear anymore. It actually was tell us more about that because it's just as important for us to listen to the people who it's not working for as it is to listen to the people who it's working for. And I just want to mention that I, I said a couple of things that could maybe give a negative uh, idea. Teachers are awesome. And teachers, if they're teachers, if they go into the profession, I don't think they go into that profession because they said, it's a good gig and it pays well. They're passionate. They they want to teach. They they want to impact. Yeah. They they all want to impact students and they all are thinking about students first. And I think um 
you know, you have quite a few people, and this is in any industry, you have always a percentage of people who are going to feel some way about the work they've been doing for a really long time. And we see it as our role to help them get back to what excites them and what makes them passionate about the field. That's great. Well, Elizabeth Orm from Creatively Focused. If someone wants to reach out to you, how do they do that? The best way to reach out to us is to email at hello at creativelyfocused.org. We also have um, different social media. So we're on Instagram and Facebook um, and available at creatively.focused and then on Twitter at cfocusedmn. If there's some awesome teachers out there. Yes. And you could be a teacher or not a teacher. The other piece we're on is we're, we're looking for other positions that may be outside of teaching. So we're always always open to receiving applications. We receive rolling applications for the work that we do. I was just thinking, you're, you're, you're a truly growing company. And as you grow, yeah, you can, I suppose you need support staff everywhere. Absolutely. So. Well, thanks for joining us on the Ed North EdTech Podcast. Congratulations on your... Your success, I see it as you've only just begun, uh, even though you probably feel like you've been you know, doing it since you were six, but whatever, but uh, you've only just begun and you've got just so much, there's so much growth, so much room for growth. Absolutely. We're excited for 2020. I was going to say, yeah, that's got that's really got to excite everyone because it's wide open. It is. So thanks again for joining us. And we'll interview you next year when you have, I don't know, 150 employees, 155 employees, something like that. Okay. So hopefully we'll be in all 50 states. That would be awesome. Uh, watch out for those California admission rules. So, okay. So best of luck and thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, thanks again to Elizabeth Orm. From Creatively Focused, what a future this company has. Awesome stuff. On behalf of all the members of Ed North, this is Dave Swordlick, and looking forward to sharing another great guest on another Ed North EdTech Podcast. <laughs>